Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we will discuss the rest of episode 57 and the first half of episode 58 of the story of Minglan or Zhifou, Zhifou, Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. The podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. If you have any questions, please reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at Chasing Dramas, or else email us at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas.com. Please also leave us a rating of the podcast on whatever platform you listen to us to. For this podcast episode, we are going to do a drama episode recap, then move on to history, and finally lightly touch on the book differences. Last podcast episode was certainly all about politics as the Empress Dowager wasn't going down without a fight in uh, relinquishing her power. The result was that many of the uh, government officials, Qi Heng included, publicly opposed the emperor for his so-called treatment of the Empress Dowager, even though it was completely a setup by the Empress Dowager, and were subsequently demoted by the emperor himself. We turn back now to Minglan as we check in with her and her family before continuing the excitement uh, with the emperor. One night, Minglan is joined by her stepdaughter, Rongjie, and her niece, Xianjie. Recall that Xianjie is the daughter of Gu Tingye's older brother. The young girls are actually being trained by Minglan to understand how to do accounting. They're checking the accounts of the family and learning why certain numbers don't match. This is actually quite generous of Minglan because these are skills that generally the Di Chu daughters are supposed to learn when they marry off as wives so that they all know how to do this in the future. We can infer that Grandma Sheng taught her, Minglan, a lot of this when she was young and therefore is now training these two girls. With this skill, the girls will have an easier time running a household when they are married. This is certainly Minglan's way of planning for their future. Why I say this is generous is because Rongjie is not a Di Chu daughter, but rather a Shu Chu, so not born of the main wife, and also not Minglan's birth daughter. And Xianjie uh, isn't even her daughter. So for Minglan to train both of them means that she wants to build a relationship with them and also is forgoing any uh, bad blood between their maternal and paternal parents. Once the session is done, Zhongjie remains behind to quietly point out to Minglan that it doesn't seem like her dad has been chatting with Minglan much. Oh, Rongjie is really sweet. She's worried that something might be wrong uh, in Minglan and Gu Tingye's relationship. Minglan assures Rongjie that everything is all right, but after sending her off to bed, recognizes that she probably should do something to mend her relationship with Gu Tingye. Elsewhere, Madame Qin, the evil stepmother-in-law, has called Xianjie over to chat, along with her mother after the accounting lesson. She is trying to understand what Minglan's relationship status is with Gu Tingye because she asks Xianjie if Gu Tingye was also present during the lesson. Xianjie lies and says 
Yes, he was sitting on the side listening the entire time. This surprises Madame Tsien, as the implication is that she thought the two still had a poor relationship. Sanjie's current intel is different from what she's heard. On the way home, Sanjie's mother also expresses her surprise that Sanjie said Gu Tingye was there, as Sanjie initially told her he was not. Sanjie in this scene shows us her intelligence because she recognized that Madame Qin was trying to use her to learn about Gu Tingye and Minglan's secrets. Evidently, Xianjie knows what type of information Madame Qin wants and does not want to give her the ammunition to butt into Minglan and Gu Tingye's affairs. Clearly, Xianjie has seen that Minglan and Gu Tingye do not try to use her to learn about Madame Qin and therefore doesn't see why Madame Qin should use her at all. It's pretty obvious to her of what Madame Qin is doing. Perhaps it is also to thank Minglan for teaching her about accounting since her own mother is not doing that. And Sanjie, I guess, is repaying Minglan's generosity through this type of protection. Additionally, Sanjie is the one taking her deceased father's words to heart. They need to stay out of the conflict between Minglan and Madame Qin. By lying, this is the best way to keep themselves out of further drama. We said earlier that Gu Tingye's older brother, the one who passed, was one of the smartest men in the drama. His daughter is shaping up to be quite formidable herself. We also see that Xianjie's mother, Madame Shao, doesn't have many opinions for herself, nor is she planning for her daughter's future. Minglan is teaching Xianjie a crucial life skill. She is the legitimate daughter of a former marquis and will have pretty decent marriage prospects. If Xianjie doesn't learn how to manage a household from youth, how will she do so when she marries and has to run her own household? Xianjie's mother isn't thinking long-term and has the gall to blame Minglan for teaching Xianjie useless skills in which she quotes, there are other people to do so. I personally did an eye roll when she said that, just because Madam, you aren't thinking of your daughter's best interest doesn't mean others aren't. And I wish she understood that this was truly for her daughter's best interest instead of whatever Madam Qin is telling her. Later that night, Minglan stops by the study to check in on Gu Tingye. The next morning, Gu Tingye is finally well enough to go to court despite his injuries, which I think he's still recovering from. He hobbles over to his litter while being helped out by his faithful servant, Shi Tou. Inside his litter, he finds a seat pillow. At first, he's all upset because he thinks it's unmanly of him to have something like this uh, for court. But then he pauses because after thinking about it a little bit, he realizes that it must be Minglan who told her servant Xiao Tao to make this pillow for him. Once that clicks, he snatches the pillow back and it all smiles and rainbows. Clearly, he likes these cute romantic gestures from his wife. And we are now back at court. Gu Tingye has returned while Qi Hong and his group are missing following our discussion in the previous podcast episode and also earlier in this drama episode. Prince Huan 
now raises the issue of salt taxation, which has not been accurately audited for some time or reviewed, thus resulting in inaccurate numbers and limited amounts actually reaching the treasury. The emperor agrees that it is high time to audit the salt taxation process and requests volunteers to step forth to help him with this undertaking. The emperor is met with silence as no one steps up. He then pointedly asks again if no one is willing to help the citizens with this task, only for there to be a change in subject by one of the ministers who is talking again about the emperor's father being named the royal father or royal uncle. One minister from the censorate even says that the taxation issue isn't as problematic as Prince Juan has made it out to be, so therefore they should finish discussing the issue of naming the royal father before turning to taxation. This greatly angers the emperor, as it would seem that if one of the issues at court do not go the way the ministers want, in this case, the naming of his father, then these ministers and officials are completely okay with letting the pressing matters of the empire stall. The emperor admonishes the censorate for not caring about the treasury, the citizens, or national security, only caring about rights, so R-I-T-E-S, of what his father should be referred to. And I think this type of criticism happens a lot where these types of auditors or the censorate, um, if you would say, would be so bogged down on very tiny details that they lose um, the bigger picture. After this rousing speech, Prince Juan steps up and volunteers for the opportunity to go out and understand and fix the salt taxation process. The emperor agrees and adds Shen Guojiu, so his brother-in-law and general in court, to accompany Prince Huan. In my view, a surprising twist, Sheng Changbai, Minglan's brother, is also tasked to join this trip. The emperor says it's because he's learned and has a photographic memory, but uh, I think he's done this partly as a reward for not picking sides like we talked about earlier in this uh, drama episode and in the last podcast episode. This trip is certainly dangerous, but I think it's a highly prominent one. You can see also Sheng Hong's eyes, so Minglan and Sheng Changbai's uh, father, his eyes are in the background moving rather quickly to kind of figure out what's going on. In any case, this is a great honor for Sheng Changbai to be named to go on this trip. Of note, the people on this trip are solely from the emperor's camp or else neutral. So you have Prince Huan, son of the emperor, and then Shen Guojiu, brother-in-law of the emperor. So they are clearly in the same camp. I don't know if Changbai is entirely neutral because of his connection with Gu Tingye, but uh, at least no one from the empress dowager's side is going. There is a brief scene where after all of this is settled, Qi Hung's father-in-law goes to speak to the emperor using the salt taxation process as a cover to try to make sure that Qi Hung is not punished too severely for what he said to the emperor earlier. As Gu Tingye said to Minglan, it just means that Qi Hung's parents knew who they wanted as in-laws because see, in this instance, they were able to uh, help Qi Hung. 
Well, pretty much immediately after the trip is announced, obstacles are put in place to set back the emperor's grand plan. On the day Shen Guozhou announces that he's ready to leave with Prince Huan for this trip, a member of the censorate steps forth to accuse Shen Guozhou of allowing his family to forcefully take property and money amongst a whole list of other accusations. Shen Guozhou is adamant that this is false. At Minglan's residence, Shen Guozhou's younger sister, Xiao Shenshi, comes to tearfully ask for help from Minglan and Gu Tingye. She explains that many of the accusations are false, but what is true is that her nephew, so Shen Guozhou's son, has indeed been embroiled in scandal. It turns out that Shen Guozhou's first wife's family, the Zhou family, has used his son's name to loan out money and essentially become loan sharks. This is the high interest loans we've talked about in the previous episodes. This is highly illegal, even though it is lucrative, but apparently one of the individuals that borrowed money could not afford to repay the debt and instead committed suicide. Xiao Shenshi is extremely worried that her brother and nephew may end up in jail for this. Fortunately, Minglan and Gu Tingye are able to calm her down and send her off. Both Minglan and Gu Tingye are recognizing that this scandal was targeted towards Shen Guozhou. Well, now that Shen Guozhou is married with scandal and has a pending court case, he can no longer accompany Prince Huan on his journey south. That creates a delay or a roadblock in this taxation audit process or trip. In the next scene, for some reason, Gu Tingye is being dragged by his friends to uh, Guangyuntai, which is a well-known brothel in the area. The excuse for this little excursion is to help placate Shen Guozhou in his recent troubles. At the brothel, the men are enjoying drinking company from the ladies there. Gu Tingye is chatting with his good friend, Wei Hangzhou. She is a highly decorated prostitute at Guangyuntai, and we met her all the way back in episode 16 during the polo match. In Chinese, Hangzhou is another term for prostitute, but more like a high-end escort. And it's actually not a, uh, a commonly seen term uh, in Chinese dramas. It originated specifically in the Song Dynasty as a term for these types of women, because alternatively, we generally see the words like "tinyu" used instead. Gu Tingye takes this opportunity to ask Wei Hangzhou for some relationship advice. With his, I guess, made-up supposed marital problems with Minglan. At first, he hides who he's talking about and raises the hypothetical wife and husband. You know, when you're saying, I'm asking for a friend, I have this issue, but, you know, in reality, it's for you. But then, you know, this is immediately obvious to Wei Hangzhou that it's about him. And he also totally forgets the ruse. His biggest issue with Minglan is that he doesn't know if everything she does is for him as Gu Tingye or for him as the Marquis. He doesn't want someone who's virtuous. He wants a real person. 
But soon after, his buddy Shin Guojiu comes in to tease him that he's making an issue out of nothing, which we agree, since his household is probably the most peaceful out of all of them. The guys suddenly realize that one in their party, Xiao Duan, he's a general, has gone missing. Xiao Duan is uh, one of the folks that helped the emperor secure his throne and was part of the original group from Yuzhou. After some searching, the guys peek into a room and see that Xiao Duan is sleeping in bed in one of the rooms there. There's also a woman sleeping next to him. The guys surmise that it must you know, be a prostitute and think nothing of it and leave. Gu Tingye and Shen Guojiu head off to Shen Guojiu's house to continue drinking and chatting through the night. The next day, Ming Lan's visiting Madame Zhang, the wife of Shen Guojiu. They're having a very cute conversation, um, and I really like it because Milan has found a true friend, one who she can joke with and be a real person. They look out for each other. I especially love the piece when Milan starts joking how no one in her family is as smart as she is. Madame Zhang laughs and retorts that if Milan's oldest sister Huan heard this, she surely would hit Milan, <laughs> and that is very true. Hualan's intellect is well known in the capital. Milan's jokes about Madame Wang are also quite funny. She says that Madame Wang married a man who's like a landlord, and she has a son who's like a father. <laughs> that pretty accurately describes Sheng Hong and Sheng Changbai to a T. And if you put it that way, I somewhat feel bad for Madame Wang and her situation. <laughs> Well, this is an episode of setbacks, so of course something bad has to happen. And sure enough, Shen Guojiu wakes up and drags Gu Tingye over to the local courthouse. Xiao Duan is in trouble. Remember the woman that Gu Tingye saw in bed with Xiao Duan the previous night? Well, it turns out she was not a prostitute. She was a fisherman's wife who went to deliver makeup for some of the ladies at the brothel. In front of the local magistrate, Gu Tingye, and the others, she accuses Xiao Duan of raping her. That's a serious crime and a serious accusation. Xiao Duan vehemently denies these claims, but the fisherman's wife makes a very strong case. She was able to answer all of the rather pointed questions from Gu Tingye and Shen Guojiu that were aimed at discrediting her, like... Why would she send makeup when the ladies from the brothel have their makeup specifically ordered from a special supplier? She also knew that Xiao Duan had a long scar on his back. How would she know if they didn't sleep together? That brings us to the end of episode 57. We pick up episode 58 right with Gu Tingye and Shen Guojiu trying to get to the bottom of this with Xiao Duan. Xiao Duan proclaims his innocence, claiming that he was only drunk and did not touch the woman. Gu Tingye does some further analysis and pokes some holes in the woman's story. The woman right now is not there. If the woman's accusations are true, how is it that no one saw Xiao Duan drag her up the stairs? How did no one hear any commotion in the room if stuff happened? And if the woman was truly raped, why did she sleep until dawn in the same bed? Shouldn't she have called out um, after the act was done? 
The men surmise something's fishy with this story. They just don't know what. It doesn't seem like Xiao Duan is being scammed for money because the fisherman and his wife, who are accusing uh, Xiao Duan, hasn't asked for money and instead went straight to court. That doesn't really make sense. What's more intriguing is we find out that Xiao Duan was supposed to be accompanying Prince Huan on this taxation review since Shen Guojiu can no longer go. So, hmm, the two people who were supposed to help Prince Huan are both now being mired in scandal. Back at Shen Guojiu's residence, the two couples, so Shen Guojiu, his wife, Madame Zhang, Gu Tingye, and Ming Lan, have a rather gloomy meal. The biggest setback is that, like we mentioned, Xiao Duan cannot go on this trip with Prince Huan. Before the group can think of another plan, though, Ming Lan suddenly calls out a big issue. If the fisherman's wife commits suicide, Xiao Duan would have an extremely hard time extricating himself from the scandal, and it would look really bad for the emperor. Gu Tingye hurriedly tells Shi To to head over to the fisherman's home and keep an eye on the woman. But alas, Shi To and company get there too late. The woman has already hung herself, and there's already a big crowd outside the fisherman's residence. Shi To brings this unfortunate news back to the waiting group. The whole debacle continues to be very confusing. According to Shi To, the body only had minimal heat left. Gu Tingye is able to surmise that the woman probably was dead for at least four hours. And then Madame Zhang points out what husband would allow his beloved wife to stay hanging there for that long. The implication there is that there must be some show happening for her to stay hanging. Furthermore, why would the now-dead fisherman's wife choose to commit suicide rather than go to court just to nail Xiao Duan down with this case? I mean, they were already so close to having a court official go through the evidence, so there was no need to kill herself. It's pretty clear that this has been a complete setup and a rather elaborate one at that. Ming Lan and Gu Tingye return home after the stressful day. At this point, both Shen Guojiu and Xiao Duan are no longer going to be able to accompany the prince to audit salt taxes. Gu Tingye tells Ming Lan that he should step in because the prince needs a persona with a military background to protect him while he's on this trip. Additionally, Gu Tingye ultimately is grateful for everything Prince Huan and the new emperor has given him since returning to the capital, so he's willing to help them out and repay them for their generosity. As they're having this conversation, Gu Tingye tries to hug Minglan tightly, who then tells him to stop. He's confused as to why, and she reveals that she, ta-da, is pregnant! The absolute joy from Gu Tingye is super cute. He picks her up and swings her around, shouting at the top of his lungs how happy he is. After realizing that what he's doing probably might not be the safest thing for her, he settles her down and tucks her into bed. Gu Tingye then tells Minglan to be extremely careful while he's away and to wait until he returns to deal with anything that comes up. 
We end our recap with Minglan seeing off Gu Tingye, Prince Huan, and Sheng Changbai as they head out on this journey that will surely keep them from home for a long time. Let's now chat about what happened here. Two questions that I had were, one, why did Xiao Duan and company have to go out to the brothel in the first place? If they didn't go, it seems like the second setback would not have happened, or at least the rape accusations would not have happened. In my view, I think that regardless of whatever activity, the force orchestrating these scandals would have found other opportunities. This just so happened to be one of them. And it might seem like somebody is working for that force, perhaps at the brothel. And second, what was the goal of this unseen force? Was it to prevent the salt audit from happening? Or was it to give the emperor a slap in the face? I think it's more of the latter. Clearly, the two scandals were targeted towards the emperor's allies. If Prince Juan had no military help, his trip would probably have been, or will be, unsuccessful. The person to lose most from this failed trip would be the emperor. Regardless, Gu Tingye is now off on official business matters, which could take several months. This is probably the least opportune time for him to be away, as Minglan is pregnant. In the next few episodes, we will see what Minglan has to contend with under these new circumstances. That was it for the episode recap. Let's move on to some cultural references and history. So the first thing we're going to talk about is a phrase that the prostitute Wei Hangzhou said to Gu Tingye when he is telling her about his relationship issues with Minglan. She says, This phrase or the original phrase comes actually from Mengzi. And essentially, it just means that a young man is falling in love with a young woman. The key phrase here is xiao ai. Ai, the phrase, is referencing a young woman. And so, Wei Hangzhou is describing this young love between Gu Tingye and Minglan. Next up is the phrase rao shu sanza he zhi ke yi. Escort Wei recites these words as a toast to Gu Tingye towards the end of her conversation with him. The two lines come from Duan Ge Xing, a poem composed by Grand Chancellor Cao Cao. It's unsure exactly when this was composed, but there are five theories that the poem was composed between 208 to 216 AD. We discussed two phrases from this poem before in episode 54. The lines discussed there were he yi jie yo, wei yo du kang, or how can we solve our problem only through du kang, which means drink. These lines come after. It's better to uh, group four lines to discuss, so I'll do that here. It's 
，月明星稀，乌鹊南飞，绕树三匝，何之可依 ？This translates to the moon rises and stars are in the sky. The magpies fly south. They circle the tree three times, but are unable to find a branch to perch on. Okay, on this, I couldn't quite figure out if the birds are magpies or crows, because typically magpies are xi chue, the second word being chue, and crows are wu ya, the first being wu. In the poem here, we have wu chue. Some say one, some say the other. I'm just gonna put both options out there that it could be magpies or crows. After reading the whole poem, I think it's a really excellent one. Maybe in one of these episodes we'll discuss the whole thing. There's quite a lot of lines in it,、um, so we'll pick one where they discuss more than you know two lines of the poem. I think Escort Way recites these lines because Gu Tingye has a home, but isn't sure of it.、Mm, it might be a stretch, but I do enjoy. Uh, the drama putting these lines in in here, so I'll give it a pass. Apparently, 绕树三匝何之可依 has now been used with respect to Chinese chess. For Chinese chess, two players either play as red or black. This phrase is used when the player with the black keys is at a disadvantage. I'm not a professional chess player or Chinese chess player, and I read this on Baikue, so I cannot corroborate what is. Said、uh, right here, but this is pretty interesting. Next is the phrase "zhou duan ku ye chang he bu bing zhu you." Shen Guojiao says these two lines when he drunkenly invites Gu Tingye over after the brothel. I really like this poem as well, so I'm going to share the whole thing. It goes like this. 生年不满百，常怀千岁忧。昼短苦夜长，何不秉烛游？为乐当及时，何能待来兹？愚者爱惜费，但为后世痴。先人王子乔，难可与等期。The following is my translation. A life won't live to a hundred, so why worry about what will happen in a thousand years? Since you are always complaining that the day is short and the night is long, why not take the candle and enjoy yourself? People need to enjoy the now. Why always wait until next year? Fools are always unhappy. If you're only thinking about obtaining wealth for future generations, they'll even seem more foolish. Your descendants will joke about their ancestors. And the ones who didn't know how to enjoy themselves, to become an immortal like Wang Ziqiao, the Crown Prince of Qin, you'll have to wait. The Crown Prince of Qin in legend was one who was modest and enjoyed his life and became an immortal、uh, upon his death. Now there really isn't a title for this poem, so it is known as Gu Shi Shi Jiu Shou, Sheng Nian Bu Man Bai. Or the nineteen old poems, a life won't live to a hundred. This poem was compiled in the anthology of Chinese poems called Nineteen Old Poems. We discussed the anthology in episode fifty-five as well. As a recap, it was believed to have originated from the Eastern Han Dynasty around the late two 
early second and third century AD. The authors of these poems are unknown. Again, I like this poem a lot. In an age where we're all working, it's good to be reminded to enjoy yourself. And hopefully you are listening to this podcast. Okay, as for some book differences, we finally get back to the main book timeline. In the book, Minglan already told Gu Tingye that she was pregnant before all of this happened. He is, as in the drama, over the moon. Xiao Dun has already traveled down south to review the salt taxation issues and got caught up in a scandal while he was over there. Salt didn't happen, actually, in the capital. So that's why Gu Tingye had no choice but to head south to take over the inspection process. Minglan only heard of what happened afterwards and didn't play a role in investigating and keeping uh, Xiao Dun safe. Well, that is it for today. I, at first, didn't think there were going to be that many historical references to go through, but uh, uh, there we have it. It was quite fun to research some of these poems. As always, feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions on what was discussed uh, on this podcast episode or if you have any pushback. As we mentioned in the last podcast episode, it seems like people are quite interested in us returning to the Qing dynasty. So we will most certainly be chatting about the story of Yanxi Palace, but we will also try to figure out how we can incorporate other dramas more readily as well. We would also like to point you to our sponsor, Jubao TV, where if you are in the U.S., you are able to check out a number of Chinese dramas and movies for free. Those do have English subtitles and can be accessible via the website Jumo or on TV through Xfinity and Cox Contour. The music you heard is the zither piece called Lan with sheet music by Bingjiu Wu Niujun and played by me. Thanks again so much for listening and we will catch you in the next episode.